Uh, this morning, I want to just get right into the text and uh, look at it. We've, we've, Jared and I were reflecting earlier this week about how we've, we've bitten off some large, large pieces of Scripture. And uh, sometimes it's difficult to digest all of them. So let's just, let's just get right into it and we'll see what we can't make of Matthew chapter 6, 1 through 18. Uh, we do have it on the screen uh, if you don't have a Bible. Uh, can't find your Bible, or you just—it's just too much work to get that Bible out of that pew, isn't it? And just—it's it's a heavy book, and you got to open it, and it just requires a lot of labor. So, if, you, if that's just too much for you, you can look at the screen. Matthew six, chapter chapter six, verse one: Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Uh, Let's just pause, because there's a lot of things in this, this section I think we need to process uh, the first is chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. If you just go back a little bit uh, to a passage we've already looked at, it seems to be in contradiction with it. Jesus says in chapter 5, verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So which is it? You know, don't let your good works be seen or let your good works be seen. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the context and the, the purpose. Uh, and, and I want to look at this a little bit because what we're going to look at today are, are three specific exercises. One is giving, another is prayer, and the third is fasting. These are activities that are really reserved for the glory of God and that alone. Uh, by me fasting, it really doesn't help you. By me giving to the Lord, that doesn't really necessarily help you. By me praying, that doesn't necessarily help you. I could pray for you, but I can let you know, hey, I'm praying for you, as opposed to saying, hey, listen, here's a CD of my prayer for you. You, you see the difference there? I mean, there, there's one that says, I'm going to pray for you, and there's another that says, man, that was a great prayer here, and I wrote it all down so that way you could know how I prayed for you. Jesus here is describing some acts that we might call personal worship. That's why I like the way the New Revised translates this. That says, beware of practicing your piety. Uh, The NIV says acts of righteousness. That's okay, but the word acts isn't in there, Um, which is why I I like this translation a little bit better here. Acts of righteousness, it's not there. Literally reading, it said, beware of doing your righteousness. Beware of doing your righteousness before others. Matthew 5.16, the word works is in there. It says, let people see your good works. I dare say that prayer, giving, and fasting aren't necessarily works. They're more disciplines. They're acts of worship. And so Jesus says here, as he's coming into the section of teaching about giving and fasting and praying, he says, beware of doing it before others in order to be seen by them. 5.16 says this, let other people see your works so that it would be like a light. And we talked about this a while ago. Light's invisible right until it hits something. And so Jesus says, let your good works be like a light that shines, and it shines on God. And so people will all of a sudden see God illuminated in your life, and they'll give glory to Him. Jesus here says, don't do it to spotlight yourself. 
and he goes and starts talking about people giving. Now, I, I, verse 2 is comical, isn't it? Really, don't, don't you know, have the brass band come in before you're about to put some money in the plate. You know, bring in the marching band. Somebody's going to go give something in the offering plate today. Uh, that's probably not what Jesus meant by that. What they gave, they would put into, like, especially in the temple, they had kind of trumpet-like things, corn cornucopias, I believe is the word, metal cornucopias. And people would get, get all their loose change. They'd convert all their dollar bills into change and they'd get a big sack and they'd pour it in so that way you could hear the tinkling of it all through the temple as opposed to sort of just discreetly placing it in there, letting it slide in. That, that would be like instead of you giving a check, you go to the bank and say, I want all the singles that I can get for this. And you come in with a giant, you know, who wants to be a millionaire suitcase and you bring that in and you just hand that to the, to the usher and say, here, this is my gift today. And I want my Samsonite back because that was expensive. But you take the cash out. You know, that, that's the difference. Jesus says, don't do it so other people see. You know, if you can write a check, slide it in, electronic transfer, whatever, just be discreet about it. He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. You know, and that's impossible, isn't it? We've got to look at this. There's a little bit of hyperbole here. I mean, unless you had a lobotomy or had that severage of that, the connection of your two brain pieces, you, your right hand's going to know. You know, I mean, your left hand is going to be aware of what's happening over here. But Jesus is saying, listen, you should be discreet in your giving. You should know why you're giving. You're giving to God. And Jared did a great job talking about giving last week, about how God wants everything, right? Not just your money, but, but that's part of it. And so when we give, we should think, you know, we're giving this to God, not to the church, not to this or that or the other thing, but we're going to give to God first. And Jesus says, if we do those things, uh, that our Father who sees in secret will reward us. Let's continue on into prayer. Uh, verse 5, whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who is in secret will reward you. Now, let's talk about prayer practice here. Uh, elsewhere in the epistles, we, we read that there's a command that men everywhere would lift up holy hands. This is an act of prayer. Uh, Jewish men would stand and they would put their hands up to God and they would pray like this. This is how they pray. It'd really freak us out if this is how we pray today, isn't it? I mean, because this is how you should pray. But this is how Jewish men prayed. And when, when the epistles were written, they said, we want the men to get together and pray. We want them to pray. So is Jesus saying here, saying, you can't stand? Don't stand when you pray? You've got to sit down. You've got to kneel. No, he's just saying, don't. Do it to draw attention to yourself. Don't say, hey, listen, I'm about to pray over here. It's going to be a good prayer. You're all going to want to listen. It's going to be really profound. I hope you got about a half hour because that's about what it's going to take. And you start with Adam and you work your way all the way through to Jesus and then uh, the book of Acts and then into today. And you're thankful, you know, for a lot of different things. No, Jesus says, you know, you don't need to, you don't need to make a show about it. If you're going to pray, then pray. Uh, praying in secret. I mean, does that mean I can't tell somebody I'm praying for them? Somebody says, would you pray for me? And I'd have to say, well, maybe. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. You'll never know. It's a secret. It's a secret who I'm going to pray for. I'm not going to tell you. No, of course not. That's not what's happening here. Jesus isn't saying that. He's just saying, don't, don't make a show about it. Let, let God receive the glory. Let this be between you and God. Verse 7, it says, When you're praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. 
Uh, we'll come back at those in a second. Let, let's just finish out. I'm going to skip down to 16 and 18 because we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer uh, a little bit longer in a second. Uh, verse 16 says, Whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, uh, fasting is an interesting thing, because when the Jewish folks fast at this time, we believe that what they did not do was put oil on their heads. Uh, that was kind of the lotion. They would get flaky scalp because it's dry. And so they put oil on their heads, so that way life would be good, and they wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be too too weird or gross. And Jesus is saying, listen, don't, don't do that. You know, everybody knows you're running around, you know, you look like Frosty the snowman with all these flakes coming off, you know, stop, stop it. Just wash your face, put some oil on your head, look good, you know, go out and keep your fast a secret. Don't be going around going, oh gosh, I'm hungry. I've been fasting. I skipped breakfast this morning. When was the last time you ate? Well, it was last night for dinner, but man, man, breakfast is my favorite meal. I'm doing it for God. Fasting. Jesus says, don't, don't, don't do that. Be, be happy. Don't, don't, don't be disfigured. Don't, don't, don't show people this. Let God alone see it. I, I, I love these sections of, of passage. And, and I, I think it's, it's interesting because we are a little removed from it today. You know, we don't talk a lot about prayer. We don't always talk a lot about giving. We don't always talk a lot about fasting as these spiritual acts of worship. You know, I, I think today we've, we've taken on a very proactive view. And we've said, you know what is, is good? Prayer is good, but doing something is better. You know, praying for somebody is good, but doing something for them is better. And so I'm not, I may not have as much time to pray because I'm out doing. And we think, oh, this sounds good. This sounds good. You pick up the book of James, and James says, you know, don't, don't say to your brother who's in need, hey, be warm and well-fed, have a great day, I'm going to pray for you, and then leave. When you got, when you got an extra Big Mac in your car, and you got an extra coat that you're going to take the goodwill back there, don't do that. But, but I think a lot of times we sort of gravitate towards that, because we're, we're, we're doers, right? You know, we're, we're people of action. We want to be active. We don't want to just say, well, I'm going to pray for you this week. We want to help them with their problems. But, but that's not at all Jesus' attitude. Notice in all of these things that Jesus says, he says, whenever you give alms, which implies that you're going to do it. Whenever you pray, implying that it's not, it's not like you're not going to do it, but when you do it, when you fast, when you pray, when you give. Jesus thinks that these are going to be parts of our daily lives. He says, you know, you're going to be giving. And so when you give, do it discreetly. You're going to be praying. And so when you pray, do it tastefully. You're going to be fasting. And so when you fast, do it in a way that's not obnoxious to everybody else. He says, when you do these things. And, and notice what he says. He says, when you do them, and you do them not for the praise of others, but for the praise of God, what does he say happens? He says, God rewards you for those things. In other words, God is interested in you praying and interested in you fasting and interested in you giving. Why? Well, I don't know why necessarily. I mean, there doesn't have to be a pragmatic reason for it other than God says, do these things. I'll tell you, I wrestled with this text this week. 
I love the way the NRSV there says, beware of practicing your piety. You know, you think of practice like, you know, a team's going to practice, get ready for the big game, right? You're going to practice, then we're going to get ready to go do something. And I thought, you know, that's kind of how prayer is, right? You know, we're going to practice, then we'll get ready for the real game. You know, we're going to practice giving, then we'll get ready for the real daily sacrifice. We're going to practice fasting, and we're going to get really to, ready to really lay down our life for God. But, but, you know, this isn't practice. This is the game for God. God, the, the word practice here just means doing. You know, God is interested in you praying. And, you know, of all the things that we do, you know, whether it's compassionate ministry, whether it's um, evangelism, all of those things like that are going to pass away. It's going to stop at some point in time. At some point in time, there will be no need for evangelism. Why? Because God will return and all of his people will be called to him. And then at that point in time, you're not going to have to tell anybody about Jesus because everybody's going to know. At one point in time, you're not going to have to give to the poor. Why? Because at one point in time, the kingdom of God is going to come and God's going to take care of all those folks. And you're not going to have to give at that point in time. But you know what you do see in Revelation? You still see people praying. You still see people praying to God. You still see people worshiping God. You still see people giving only to God. As the elders are gathered around the throne, what are they doing? They're casting their crowns down at God's feet. They're giving to Him. These are acts of worship that will last for eternity. And so Jesus says, let's go ahead and start on it now. If we're practicing for anything, it's practicing for eternity. But this should be part of our daily lives. Why? Because God is glorified in it. Think of it perhaps in this way. If you're in a relationship, maybe let's just say a friendship. You've got a friend who, whenever anybody else is around, man, they are your best friend. Like there's a crowd or two or three people, they're like, man, this guy right here, he's my best friend in the world. I just love this guy. But then when nobody's around, what's your name? Who? Who are you? I don't know you. I don't know you. But, but then somebody comes around and says, oh, man, this guy, this guy right here, I love this guy. He's my favorite. And then when nobody else is around, you're like, I don't, I don't know this guy. It, Jesus is sort of saying that's the same way with prayer and giving and fasting. Man, whenever there's a crowd around, you're like, oh, man, I love God. God, I'm going to pray. Oh, God, I love you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give. Oh, God, I love you. I'm, I'm fasting right now. Look how miserable I am for you. I hope you're happy about it. You know, all of those things. But then when it's just you and God, it's like, oh. Who's God? Jesus says you should be doing these things all the time because you have a relationship with God. These are the kinds of things that foster in our souls a depth, something that makes us a little bit more like Christ in the small and quiet hours. And you know what? When you are more like Christ in the small and quiet hours, you will be more like Christ in the daily hours. But let's not be confused that one is better than the other. They're both necessary. They're both necessary. I want to look at a few things here. I want to get through the Lord's Prayer. There's a lot of things I want to do. We'll just see what we get, we get to do. Uh, one is practice your righteousness for God alone. Uh, first is don't do it to manipulate others. Don't do it to manipulate others. Uh, you know, I get a lot of emails from um, when, when people find out you're a minister and they work for another church. Man, they're always sending you emails. They're like, oh, here, uh, you know, either, it's either we're going to help you do what you do better uh, we've never been to your church, but we know how to do it better. Or it's, uh, we, want, we want you to do something for us. This is usually kind of the two things we get at the office. Um, but the people that, that are the most aggressive right now are the financial consultants. And I don't know how many emails a week I get. Uh, improve your church's giving by 37% by following these three easy secrets. 
I mean, where you're like, wow, well, it's just three easy secrets. I mean, we could do that, right? With 37%, that sounds pretty good. And so you open up the email, there's all sorts of things in there. They usually start with pray. You know, you ought to pray for giving. Oh, that's okay, this is good. But then you get to the real meat of it, right? That you should acknowledge all of your givers. And they're like, you know, you should send letters. And the bigger the gift, the more you should do. And send them tickets to the football game and put their name on the board in a big picture of their face and say, man, this person gives a whole bunch. And then other people will give. Well, you know, that may work in some places. But in the church, I don't know that there's a place for that. Because Jesus says, listen, you're not doing it for others. Now, now I know that there's some places in churches that do that. And I think what they're trying to do is set an example. And Paul does that, right? Paul does that. He writes to the Corinthian church. He says, hey, listen, this church gave a whole bunch of money. We think you should give because you've got more money than they do. But they gave sacrificially. Follow their example. I understand that. But that's a group of people even and not just one. You see, there's something about this. Jesus says, let's not confuse the issue. You're not giving to the church or building program or a cause. You're giving first to me. I may tell you to give it to a cause. I may tell you to give it to a church. But you give it to me. When you pray, you may be praying for other people, but you're doing it for me. You may be fasting on behalf of a cause or a thought or a concern, but you're fasting for me. Don't confuse it. Don't do it to manipulate others. Don't do it to manipulate God. Uh, This is a lot of what Jesus is getting at when he talks about don't pray like the Gentiles do, heaping up empty phrases with uh, all these words. Uh, The Gentiles and even the Jews at this time had a thought that if you prayed the right prayer, kind of like a magic spell, if you prayed the right prayer, the right words in the right order, then all of a sudden all of your prayers would be answered. And so they would actually collect prayers or, or, or spells or even other types of things. And they would think, man, if you say it just like this, then your prayers can be answered. Jesus says, God doesn't work like that. You're not that clever. You can't figure out the secret passcode to heaven. It, it's, it doesn't work that way. It, more than that, Jesus says, God wants to give to you. Uh, God wants to pour things out on you. You don't have to talk him into it. He wants to bless you. And we know from Scripture, places like James, uh, that God has chosen to not bless us except in accordance with prayer. And so we should take prayer seriously. Uh, let's, let's skip down next to this point C, yeah, or the dash or whatever it is. Uh, practice daily surrender to God in your life uh, and then watch Him work in it. Uh, verse 18, I think, kind of draws uh, this out. Uh, talk about when, when God sees, uh, sees in secret, uh, he will reward you. You know, God will reward you when you surrender your life to him in each of these things. And I think that's what each of these things are, giving, fasting, and praying. Each of them is an act of surrender, okay? G- giving. and giving, we surrender our financial agenda, our financial stockpile. We surrender all those things. And we say, God, we're going to give to you. In, in fasting, we surrender our body's basic need of food in order that we would be more aware that we are dependent upon God and God alone. And so in fasting, we do that, which is an act of sacrifice. It's an act of surrender. In prayer, we are surrendering everything to God, uh, as we'll see here in a second. And the surrender is something that should start in our prayers. Uh, Let's walk through the Lord's Prayer a little bit, because I would love for us to have a chance to pray through it here this morning. Uh, But the Lord's Prayer is marked by a few things, in my mind. It's marked by humility, and it's marked by purpose. The Lord's Prayer is simple, and it's short. 
you get the impression that somebody is saying, listen, I, I just, I've got this to say, and I know you're busy, but I just want you to hear it. I'm just going to get this off my chest. And you just say it. There's a sense, sense of humility in it. There's a sense of purpose that says, I know what I'm going to pray for. I, I'm not going to ramble. You know, a lot of times people are concerned that they fall asleep uh, when they're praying. I'm more concerned when God falls asleep when we're praying. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Because you're not quite sure what you're praying about. And, and he's, he's lacking clarity also. Um, clarity, purpose, humility in prayer, I think is, is key. Uh, let's walk through each of these phrases. Verse 9 says, pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, it starts here, obviously, with a personal uh, awareness of God, uh, an identification of who God is. Uh, notice throughout Scripture, God wants to be defined in terms of relationship. God wants to be determined and known as, to everybody as the God of His people. What's His name? It doesn't really matter. He's the God of those people. He's the God of the Christians. My name is less than important than the fact that you call me yours, is what God says. I, you can call me what you want so long as you call me yours. And so people here today, we have people that will pray to the Heavenly Father and to, to God and God in heaven and, oh, Holy Lord. And, I mean, whatever you call him, Jesus says, I want you to call my Father your Father. It's our Father. We're calling him ours. Uh, not only is he ours, but he is in heaven. Uh, he is separate from us. Uh, if you think about parents, and I'm a parent, you know, parents love to be known uh, as, as the parents of their kids. You know, I love, I love it when they're like, oh, you're Bailey's dad. Yeah, you know, I had a name longer than that, but that's one of my favorites. Bailey's dad will do. That's great. You're Caleb's dad. That's, that's good. Our, our father in heaven. He's our father, but he is separate. Uh, let's move on here to, to verse 10. Uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, right out of the gate in this prayer is a surrender to God's will. This is something I think a lot of us lack. You know, we'll have this great prayer to our Father in heaven, and then we'll give him the laundry list of everything we came in with. And then at the end of that, we're like, you know, but, but whatever. You know, whatever you want, God. It's you. It's whatever you want. Jesus says, let's not put that in as a footnote. Let's put that in right at the beginning. Say, God, hey, listen, I, what I want more than anything is what you want. I want your will to be done. I want your kingdom to come here. The, the, the rule that happens here in the world is lacking. Our, our leadership is, is, is missing something. And that something is you, God. We want you to come. We want your kingdom to come. And when your kingdom come and your rule is perfected, we want your will to be perfected on earth here. We want the things that you want to have happen, happen. Let's be honest, church. Our desires are skewed. Our, our wants are out of place. And our requests follow in with that. The first thing we want is God's perfect will. Uh, the second thing we pray for is we pray to God in heaven who's separate for his will to come. Then we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, we need to pray knowing that we are dependent upon God. There are people, and there's maybe some of you here, that you do not know where tomorrow's meal is coming from. And so for you, this is a real prayer. Give me daily bread. But I suspect for many of us, we have a refrigerator full of food and we're going to go home and I don't need to pray for my daily bread because I know it's in the freezer and it's waiting for me. But Jesus says, listen, we need to pray for everything. We need to be dependent upon God, knowing that it is God who provides everything. The ability to work, the ability to uh, be given success, all of these things come from the graciousness of God. After we get through that laundry list of prayer, um, I think for me a lot of times my greatest need is revealed and that is the need of forgiveness. 
You know, sometimes we come to prayer, we're so clouded by everything we want, everything we think we need. God, help me with this and help me with that. And, oh, heal my car and heal my great aunt's gout and her toe and pray for, you know, Aunt Sally and my sister and this, that, and the other thing. And, oh, yeah, and your will be done. And, yeah, forgive me my sins. But, But when we start to get rid of those things and really intentionally, purposely in prayer, put those things at the feet of Christ, what we end up seeing, I think, is our greatest need of forgiveness. And we say, God, forgive me. Forgive me my debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Now, that's kind of that's kind of terrifying, isn't it? You skip down to verse 14 and 15. Jesus expounds upon this. He says, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Um, I, I, that's a tough verse to, to wrestle with. I think a lot of it has to do, though, with the way that you do accounting in your life, personal accounting. I'm not talking about like balancing your checkbook, but... And relationships. You got to make, if you're one of those people that make sure got, everything's got to end up even, you know, like that person can't, can't be outdone by, you, they can't outdo you and they, they're not going to get you, you're not going to owe them anything. Uh, Jesus says, if you deal in accounting and relationships that way, it's not going to work. You're not going to be able to receive God's forgiveness because you can't accept it because you can't extend it. You know, if I make sure that between my relationship with, with whoever is, man, everything's got to come out even. And I'm not going to let you get me or I'm going to get you back or I'm going to be ahead. Jesus says you're not going to be able to receive grace that way. You've got to realize that, man, you've got to extend it because people aren't perfect and you're not perfect either. And God's accounting says, listen, you owe me everything, but I'm going to give it all back. I'm going to give you everything. So, so forgive us as we forgive others. Expand our hearts to receive and give forgiveness. Um, finally here, pray for the grace of deliverance. It's not enough to be forgiven. Uh, we don't want to end up in temptation. And so it goes on, it says, do not bring us to the time of trial, uh, but rescue us from the evil one. If you're like me, you don't need to go find trouble. It, it finds you well enough by itself. And so when we pray, we say, God, help me today to be like you. Lead me in paths that would make me more like Christ and help me to respond in kind. Um, this prayer is so beautiful. And I want to take some time. We're going to pray through it here this morning a little differently. And this week, here's a challenge for you to pray through the Lord's Prayer. Take each phrase and then pause and allow it to guide your prayer time. We're going to do that here in a second. But this prayer is so beautiful that the early church really grabbed hold of it early on. Uh, a lot of you, how many of you memorized the, the last part of the Lord's Prayer that says, and, and uh, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. How many of you, how many of you remember? Okay, good. How many of you thought that was really in the Bible? You know, okay, a lot of us do. Okay, thank, thank you for your honesty. Okay, it's, it's, it's not, okay? It's just not there. Um, you got a little footnote in there. If you've got the King James, it shows up. And the reason for that is because really late manuscripts put it in. They put it in. Now you're going to ask the question, why would somebody write something in the Bible that doesn't go there? Haven't they read revelations? Whoever has the Lord's word, it's going to be stricken to them and this, that, and the other thing. Well, yeah, I mean, they read that probably what happened is this. The early church loved that so much. And they prayed that so frequently that one of their scribes, said, you know what, in order to use it better in church, we got to say amen, right? I mean, you can't have a prayer and not say amen at the end. So, but, and you don't just close a prayer like that by saying, amen. You gotta, you gotta, it's got to be big. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's what will work. That's going to pray. And so one guy, he gets his pen out and he puts a little asterisk in there and he says, all right, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And he writes it in there. And that was their community's book. Okay, and that's, that's what they prayed from. 
Well, at one point in time, that book gets wore out and they don't have Lifeway. You know, poor them. And so, so what do they do? They, say, they head it to somebody that's got good handwriting. They say, hey, listen, copy this because we need it. And so that guy is copying and he comes to that footnote and he says, for yours, king, of the glory forever. And he goes, well, we've always said it that way. Why is it in the footnote? They say, oh, they must not have had room. They must have forgot to put it in. And so all of a sudden he writes it in the middle. He says, okay, that's it. And all of a sudden, there you go. It became part of the Bible. And the King James, they had later manuscripts. And so because they had the later manuscripts, they said, well, that's there. We've always said it that way, so it should go there. So, but then when you start working on the American standard and the Rice standard and all these other standard versions, uh, they have older manuscripts and it's not there. Why is it not there? Because it wasn't written in there. And so then they put it in there. But you know, people don't like stuff getting taken out of their Bible. You know, it really bugs them. Like, what, what happened to this? This is my favorite part. And so you can't just take it out. You've got to put it in the footnote. Long answer for something that's really short. But we'll use that today when we pray it out, okay? We're going to use that. I wanted you to know why some places had, had taken away your favorite verse of the Bible and why it had gone missing. Okay. All right, here's what we're going to do. I want to spend some time praying. And, and we're going to pray through the Lord's Prayer um, together, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit down because that's the, the place I would be comfortable praying. If you want to be in a different posture for praying, you will be invited to do so. Uh, but what I want to do is I'm going to pray through the Lord's Prayer out loud, and then I'm going to pause at the end of each line, and I want to encourage you to kind of pray through that. Uh, I might kind of give voice to a few uh, thoughts for us to think on as we pray that would help, help to inform your time of prayer. But, but I would encourage you this week to take time every day to do what we're going to do right now and see, especially if you're struggling in prayer, I think you'll find this is helpful. So let's be like the disciples in Luke who before they got the Lord's Prayer there said, Lord, help us to pray. Lord, help us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Church, as you pray, what do you call God? Call him your special name right now. Give him praise right now. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Church, put your agenda now at the feet of God. What things do you need to stop pursuing to pursue him fully? Give us this day our daily bread. Put to God your needs, your wants.
Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Ask now for the grace to forgive and the grace to be forgiven. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Think through your week. What is going to be a temptation this week? Pray that God would keep you from it. Church, why don't you gather your thoughts and let us say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.